Want to cut cooling bills without cutting comfort? Lower utility costs and enjoy cool and consistent comfort with a highly efficient air conditioner from Luxair. With Luxair's consumer rebate program, educators, nurses, first responders, military personnel, and veterans can enjoy exclusive rebates on qualifying purchases of Luxair equipment. To learn more, call G-Team Mechanical at 765-376-3042 or visit gteamhvac.com. They'll recommend a system tailored to your home that provides comfort, energy savings, and lasting performance. This is Trackside with Kurt Cavan and Kevin Lee. The planning, the anticipation, and it all sees green right now here in Daytona. Let's go, the new era of GTP racing. I think there's no question who the fastest car so far in the GTP class is. This is number 60, Meyer Shank Racing um, Acura. It has pace every time it needs it. I say so far because we've seen a lot of the best cars not be the best when the sun comes up. It's the pink and white Myers Shank Acura out front, the gold and black Cadillac of Sebastian Bourdais behind. We saw Pagano drive right around Bourdais when the situation was reversed. Much later start from Simon, though. He's hanging on here before he hits the throttle, and away they go. Great jump from the Acura. Bringing it home in the first race for the new era of GTP, the hybrid era in IMSA, WeatherTech competition, Tom Blomquist. And Maya Shank Racing win the 2023 Rolex 24 at Daytona. And Spider-Man Elio Castro-Neves gets three in a row. Their teammates, Simon Pagano and Colin Brown, victorious here at the World Center of Racing. They defend their Rolex 24 crown. Big props to everyone. You guys have, I guys have a good luck charming in this team. It's amazing. Everyone did an amazing job. Obviously, accurate HPD. Maya Schenk Racing, I mean, the entire people of this, not only from the sports car program, the IndyCar program, everybody works so hard together. And uh, I can't thank enough, obviously. I want to thank my, my wife. She's, uh, she's not here, but we got it. Woohoo! Another one. I can't believe it. This is absolutely dream come true. Race season is now fully underway after another entertaining Rolex 24 and yet another overall win for a team and drivers from IndyCar. NASCAR starts this weekend with the clash at L.A.'s Coliseum. Coverage on Fox Sunday at 4, and then heat in the main event is about 8 o'clock on Sunday evening. We've already had one big announcement for the 2024 Indy 500, with still at least a couple of seats remaining for this year. And there is a plan in the works for another hugely significant program revealed this just past week. And it's pretty much IndyCar season now. All teams and cars are on track here near Palm Springs, California, on Thursday and Friday, and drivers have just finished up a day of answering the same questions over and over and over. Hello, welcome. Thanks for joining us. Trackside on 93.5-1075, The Fan in Indianapolis. You heard courtesy of NBC Sports finish to the Rolex 24 and three in a row for Elio Castroneves, two in a row for Meyer Shank Racing, a second Rolex for Simon Pagano. And Colin Brown also gets a second Rolex, but the first in the top class. Thanks for joining us. Kevin Lee, Kurt Cavan, Josh Mullenix is in our Indianapolis studios. Uh, I am working my, it's, well, it's the Avoid Indiana tour from Daytona on Sunday to Miami yesterday at Homestead Miami Speedway, helping out a bit with the Lucas Oil uh, shootout for a scholarship for their season that we'll talk about later on if time permits and now in palm springs ready to see indy cars on the track later on in the week um 
Kurt, I'm going to let you, since since I was at races this week and probably chatted with some people, so I, I think I'll just kind of let you take it over, and we'll just do it that way. You can ask me a few things, and we'll go back and forth and see where it takes us. Well, that's kind of the way I like to do it anyway. Uh, it's, you know, but we go back and forth in this program. We do it one way, one week, one week, you know, <laughs> but we don't spend enough time physically together, so, so we get a chance. To, I know that came out wrong. Um, but we don't get a chance kind of on race weekends until the season gets rolling, uh, where we can chat about what we know and, and, uh, and, you know, the things that you come across, the things I come across, sometimes they're different. So just to, yeah, to spend a little time quizzing you sometimes, especially when you're at a race that I haven't been paying as close attention to. You know, I certainly watch the Rolex. I don't watch 24 hours of the Rolex. I like the Rolex. Uh, I've covered the Rolex. So I, I certainly know, you know, the ins and outs of how the night flows. And, but it's just one of those really interesting events that, you know, because it starts, you know, on one day and, and rolls to another day and, and it goes through the night and the, you know, the dew that gets on the racetrack to some degree and, and just the chilliness that comes through the middle part of the night. You know, it's just such a fascinating event. And the fact that the cars turn, what, 750, 800 laps, whatever the number was, is pretty fascinating. And, and the driver changes. I guess I would start with really, for my money, uh, the star of the show or the moment of the race that was most interesting to me was to watch a couple of old Frenchmen, uh, friends for so long, watching Sebastian Bourdais and, and Simon Pagino duel there in kind of the early part of uh, what was Sunday? I have to get my days correct, but you know how those two guys, you know, one, two in the class, one, two overall, they're competing against each other head to head. You know, they've done so for so many years. I, I really, I really like that aspect of the race. Uh, I guess what did, what did you take maybe from that, that sequence and, and how Simon really kind of put the team, the Meyer Shank racing team in position to win that? 24-hour race you know those two guys are to me kind of a microcosm of the event and why i enjoy the event i i know to a lot of people especially in the sports car world lamar is a, a much bigger deal and and i might feel that way too if i had ever been i've not been to lamar and i'm sure it has an indy 500 type of feel on the grid before the race and the massive amount of people and everything else but as a just spectator and a fan well before i, I started covering this race I enjoy the Rolex 24 much more because I'm an American motorsport fan. And at Le Mans, to me, it's always more about the prestige. You know, and obviously this year you have the the 100th anniversary coming up um, and the cool cars and everything else. But I don't know as many of the drivers. And I don't mean I don't know them personally. I just don't recognize as many of the names because it's the European racing uh, community. Whereas in America, it's always been, if you're a, a, a race fan of any kind, you don't have to watch for very long to see someone, oh, I've watched him in something else. You have, this year it was only one NASCAR driver, but sometimes you've had a few, probably, boy, I'm going to guess if you added it all up, it's probably about a fifth of the field has at some point been coming up trying to get to IndyCar. And if you're a hardcore fan, you recognize those names. And then you have the IndyCar stars. And that's what I love about it. Now you have IndyCar teams that are team owners. So getting back to Pagano and, and uh, Bourdais, two of the all-time greats in IndyCar, 
uh, and and two of the greats in sports cars. They're just great drivers, and it all transfers. So that was really cool. You know, the atmosphere, uh, the, the crowd, a record crowd was announced. By the way, Daytona does it right uh, because there were more people in the grandstands. It's not a grandstand event. It's the most of the people are wandering through the garage area and on the grid and general admission tickets were able to get into the garage this year. So th- there was just great access, but that's the place to be in there. Are the big screens right behind pit lane where there are, you know, probably a couple of thousand people at least camped out watching and just sitting and, and enjoying the day. But it did to me look like there were a decent amount of people in the grandstands. And in recent years, I almost felt like you kind of count the people in the grandstands, but getting back to what Daytona does so well with their seating is because it's tough to sell seats for every racing event. I couldn't tell I'm on pit lane and looking up and I can't really tell how many people are in the stands because they camouflage those seats with the different colors so well. So that's, that's genius. If you have some events that don't draw a full house and you want to kind of uh, make people not notice that very much. You know, the thing that stood out most to me is, yes, it's about the stars, but in sports car racing, it is just as much about the cars. And if you are in the sports car world, if you're paying attention to that, uh, there was a lot of gloom and doom about whether the cars were going to last. The new cars, the top class, the GTP cars. No one had gone more than four hours before. Nobody thought they had any chance of making it. Every team had a spare crew if they had an IndyCar team that was just waiting in the garage, knowing that that might be the difference in the race is that who could get the hybrid aspect and the battery changed the quickest if they had to do something or if some other part failed. Could they get it changed and only spend 20 minutes in the garage rather than 45 minutes and it might still get you on the podium? And I think a lot of us thought "Eh, maybe a couple of them make it the whole way. They probably will, but certainly not several of them. And they did. Uh, most of them made it in a day two, and you still had four or five rolling in contention at the end of the race. So I, I think that was something that really came up. And if you didn't see the end, you, you might want to Google the end. The LMP2 finish was basically a, a photo finish that you had to kind of look at timing and scoring to see who won it. And it was between a couple of guys that have driven Indy cars. Ben Hanley uh, was leading much of the race, and James Allen who had tested the Dragon Speed Indy car when they came on a few years ago. They won the race for a Proton competition. You know, obviously, as I mentioned, another IndyCar team won it. Here's something, Kurt. It was mentioned that Elio is the second to win it three in a row, but he's really the first to win it three years in a row because Peter Gregg won three races in a row in the 70s. But there was a year that there was not a Rolex 24, uh, I'm assuming because of the energy crisis in 1974. So that's a first that, that Elio gets that done. Uh, so that was pretty cool. And it's always good to watch him celebrate and bring everybody else along with. So let me ask you this. Um, the amount of time Elio was in the car. Uh, I know he wasn't the primary driver. He did spend quite a, quite a bit of time in the car. Do you happen to know how much time he spent of the 24 hours? I do not. Yeah. That's one of those things that if you're a, you're in a team with, with four drivers, you know, do you see, do you get the gratification by not, you know, when you get the gratification, even if you weren't in the car a majority of the time, and I know they all, they all would like to be in the car at the finish and, and how that decision comes about is always a team by team kind of play, if you will. Uh, again, not that, 
I don't mean to suggest that Elio isn't deserving of the accolades. He wasn't the primary driver in this car. I'm just curious how much he he drove. But I would say he drove a pretty decent amount. Um, You know, ultimately, you want Tom Blomquist driving as much as he possibly can because he's awesome. And Colin Brown is awesome, too. If you were watching and this kind of surprised us all um, that on Saturday. So the general feeling coming in was that the Acura was the fastest. So if you're the fastest, you might want to not take huge chances that you just want to stay in the mix, figuring as long as we get to Sunday, we're going to have a chance to win it. Uh, but Colin Brown was just slicing his way through traffic and really taking some risk. And that's what separates great racing drivers from average racing drivers, that he has the confidence and the ability to do that. So I think he really showed the talent and why he's back in a top level ride at this point. Uh, Pagano did did the run right before the end, before Blumquist, and took the lead and I think was really decisive. But Tom Blumquist has proven over the last couple of years that he is a superstar in sports car racing, and I really think we're probably going to see him in IndyCar next year. So you might want to start studying up, up on him a little bit. Back to your point on Elio, if he had never had finished before, there might be something that says, yeah, I want to be the guy, I want to take the checkered flag and get the glory because, you know, we're all selfish in that regard. But I think since he did it last year, and while he still probably could have won the race because I think their car was a little bit better, I would imagine Elio would say, Tom Blomquist is faster than me, and he gives us the best chance to win the race, so I'm good with it. Yeah, I, I think so too. And and to your point about Tom Blumquist, he's going to be – didn't Meyer Shank Racing announce he was going to be in a test uh, at some point in 2023? I don't think he – it wasn't – No, he's he already ever, done it. He already he, did the test. All right. He already did it, and uh, he did quite well. Yeah, he did. Yeah, that's right. He, he he did make the test. And, and as I've told you he, before, Colin Brown also is a, a longtime family friend of, of mine and uh, – Boy, I've taught I've t- touted him for an IndyCar ride. He, he thought he was close with Ray Hall yep. Letterman. Yep. Uh, so this, you know, this is uh, this is really a kind of a, a really interesting group of guys and and uh, in terms of drivers and team. This is a true IndyCar team. It probably had the most IndyCar interest from my standpoint. Really, any team on the grid, uh, the Dixon. Uh, the Dixon car, obviously from the Ganassi stable and is, uh, pretty interesting, but, but, but what other IndyCar guys, uh, did you think showed well, even if their car didn't finish in the, in the hunt, so to speak? So if you, if you weren't watching it, it's probably worth noting that the, the Cadillac fielded by Ganassi might have won the race without one of the cautions. You knew at some point there was going to be a caution, uh, but. Well, I'm going to say I, I got back on the air at 10 o'clock on Sunday morning, and it always changes because of the timing of pit stops. But really around that time, the 01 Ganassi, the one that Bourdais uh, or the, the one that uh, that, yeah, Dixon and Bourdais and Ranger van der Zander are in, had a legit 45 to 60 second lead. They were in charge and it all kind of happened in the early morning. And I was just getting ready as I came back out there. And I'd asked a few people, how did that happen? Because nothing went wrong with the Acura significantly. How did they gap them that much? So that car was good. And had it somehow stayed caution-free, they would have probably won the race. But they had already gone six hours without a caution. 
So you knew it was coming, but that's what bunched it back up. And when they got close together, the acker is a little bit quicker. So um, wanted to point that out. I did do a little note taking on the IndyCar people we know and how they finished. So that 01 ended up finishing third. Colton Herta drove both cars. Uh, the BMWs had a lot of problems, uh, finished sixth and ninth in class in the uh, RLL team. Um, Joseph Newgarden and Scott McLaughlin, their chance to win was pretty much over at the drop of the green flag. They had an electrical problem when someone else was in the car, the team owner, John Ferrano, and it turned out it's because the water bottle leaked and the car basically shut down and they lost 11 laps. They started 11 laps down, and they were so fast. They got a few cautions to get things back, but they legitimately passed their way back to get a few of those laps back, and I think they finished two or three laps down. So they had a lot of fun, um, but they didn't have a chance to compete. The Indy Lights guys, the Indy Next guys, there were six from the uh, HMD team in the race. Josh Pearson and LMP2 finished Fourth in one of his races. Oh, this is kind of notable from from um, an open wheel perspective. Fastest lap at LMP three was Nolan Siegel, an Indy Next driver. LMP two was a driver who was in USF two thousand last year. He did one weekend. He was really overqualified for that. He's a high level driver. Alex Quinn from the UK. Uh, he had the fastest lap in in LMP two, and. Yeah, I think uh, the, the the Lexus car that has some Indy car connections uh, finished third in GTD Pro with Jack Hawksworth. Mike Conway is on that car now. I, I fear we didn't give them enough credit on the broadcast because there's so much going on. But uh, Catherine Legg's team with Sheena Monk and Mario Fonbacher finished fourth in the GTD class. A GTD car, the Pro Am class, beat. The pro class, same cars as I think I mentioned last week, but just you must have AM drivers in, in the GTD class, and they beat all of the pros in that category. That was uh, the Aston Martin Heart of Racing car. So uh, I think that's that probably covers the Rolex 24. The other thing I'll mention out of the weekend, that this had been reported before. I think Marshall Pruitt had it at racer.com that Ricky Taylor, maybe that's what you were thinking of, is I likely – to get a test. So I chatted with Rob Edwards uh, a little bit and, um, and it's not a hundred percent confirmed when and where it's going to happen, but he just said, yeah, that's our intention. We, we need to figure out a way to make use of the opportunity because he is a new driver. So we have the chance to test him and basically one decide if we ever want, you know, we could have a reserve driver, maybe down the road, you put him in IndyCar uh, but at least, if nothing else, you're learning some things that will apply. Uh, he did test with Penske a few years ago, and I have heard from multiple sources that he was good. So it wouldn't just be a fun day for Ricky Taylor. They would likely learn something from him. And it's always good to have depth in your program. Yep. One more thing that I thought was interesting. I thought we were going to have Scott Dixon uh, have one of those Portland moments. You know, he got he got uh, tried to get woed up and and got run into oh, the back. Yeah, that's right. And uh, I thought it was going to be like Portland a couple of years ago, where he came through the cloud of dust after taking some contact, or at least 
having uh, a, a scare. Maybe that's a better. No, description. they got they got they got hit pretty hard. Oh, that's right, that's damage. right. That that was yeah. damage that was dangling off the back of the car. And I thought, yeah. I really thought race control might might bring them in to get that fixed right away. They didn't. And uh, but and then Dixon almost, uh, as you said, looked like he might be a threat to win the race. So very Portland like from a couple years ago. Uh, do we need to get to uh, I know we got some IndyCar things uh, just within the last hour. Uh, Media day has wrapped up in terms of uh, the drivers cycling through the through the press room. And, And I don't know that we've really learned anything today other than Stingray Rob saying that he didn't know the Dale coin ride was available until uh, he saw Linus Lundquist at their workout at Pit Fit in Indianapolis, and he assumed that Lundquist was going to be a Dale Coyne guy. And and Lundquist said, no, I, I don't have anything going. And and Stingray said, well, let's wow. get the get my agent on the phone and, and let's talk to Dale and, and see where this goes. And this could be – I mean, it really could be a rookie of the year type season for Stingray. He's got, you know, really a, a good infrastructure – uh, or at least, uh, y- y- you know, how well Dale Coyne has fielded rookies in the past. And then you've got rookies in kind of some some uh, tough spots a little bit. You know, the Foyt cars got Benjamin Peterson in it, uh, along with Santino Ferrucci. And then the rookie Marcus Armstrong is only going to go half the races at Ganassi, and, or at least two-thirds of the races. And then uh, and then Augustin Cap- Canapina is at... Uh, the Hunko's Hollinger car, which is going to be a tough deal given that they've got to expand to two cars. I talked to Augustine on Thursday of last week and really enjoyed the conversation. He's, he's really, uh, got a great personality. He just moved to Indianapolis for the, you know, his first time in really the U.S. Uh, he's been here a couple times, but for an extended period, now he's living just a little north of Indianapolis Motor Speedway and trying to learn the, learn the ropes of the u.s and and uh saw snow for the first time and and so just an interesting uh interesting guy so i'm sure you'll get the chance over the week here to uh to spend time with him so but he knows he's in for for tough tough sledding and and the expectations back home in argentina are high because they don't you know they haven't had many indycar drivers and they've got an indycar team owner with an indycar driver uh, from their home country. So they're pretty excited. And he said, look, I've got to get, I've got to get expectations under control at home, let alone on the circuit. Yeah. He goes, I know this is going to be tough and uh, we'll just have to see how it goes. So anyway, uh, anything else we need to kind of uh, tackle in this segment? So I rolled in late um, mid afternoon Pacific time today, just a little bit before the show. So I have not really spent any time with anyone. I bumped into Kyle Kirkwood who told me where I needed to go uh, nice. and then I just said, said hello to Pato and Felix walking by. So I'll have some more time with people today, but did on the flight follow along on social media and courtesy of people like, uh, Nathan Brown, who is out here and also Nate Ryan from NBC. I saw this, that, uh, Alexander Rossi said, uh, Errol McLaren has hired 40 new employees to expand by a car this year. That's significant. Pato talked about how he disengaged for six weeks. I wish we could all do that and just turn off our phones and not need to do anything. So good for Pato being in a position to be able to do that. And Alex Pillow said that he has full data access this year, which we wondered about how that would go. But I would also say, and I'll ask, do you think they would tell us if he didn't? Because I think that's what he's learned out of last year is that, yeah, I probably am too honest at times. Because if I say 
yeah, they won't let me take anything home. I'm being treated differently. Then that's going to be a storyline all year. So it's in everyone's best interest to shut this down and say everything is awesome. And then on September 7th, announce that he's going to McLaren. Yeah, I think so, too. And and Alex is a, you know, for such a young guy and and, a new, and it's still a relatively new person in this series. He's really figured out the communication game. Now, it didn't go so well last year and he was probably too honest, but but really is uh, he's a smart guy. And so I think that's a smart path to take. I don't know if that comes from Mike Hall and Chip Ganassi, but. Whoever decided this, that's good. That's good. Uh, good advice, and I think that'll kind of that'll temper the flames a little bit, and we won't have so much fear around around that car in 2023. You know, I think the other thing we need to bring up uh, is the Robert Wicken story. Yeah. So, do you remember a, f- uh, a few weeks ago, maybe a month or so ago, when we were talking about Indy 500 situations, and I said there's potentially one other really big one out there. And and I have been sworn to secrecy on that one, and I wouldn't even tell you off the air. Well, that's what it was. So there, there's been an effort since I learned about it in October. And I think it probably it's obviously been discussed before that for Wiccans to do the 500 this year in, in 2023. Now, that's not a huge surprise because Robbie has been honest with that. Uh, in the past, I, I've heard him tell people before he's told me, and I think he said it publicly that, yeah, I want to do the Indy 500. I think that's possible. But at, at some point late last summer, the wheels started going in motion into what would it take to make this happen? And, you know, obviously you have to get the technical aspect out of the way. You have to get approval from IndyCar. And there are a lot of things that need to happen, and including a lot of money. And I'm a little bit surprised that someone hasn't jumped on board with this. So I understand why Brian Herta decided to go public. And I mentioned this on the Mission Pilot broadcast where, where Robbie races. So it started with, with Brian just mentioning it in conversation to Jenna Fryer, Fryer of the Associated Press, about something else. And then, you know, obviously she's going to, to write a story, and she did. And I before it even came out, I saw Robert in the garage and I said, you know, this is coming out. And he said, yep, yep. I just heard about it. And I think he would have preferred that it stay quiet until it got done, but he understands. And I agree with this from Brian's perspective. I talked to him a little later as well. They need to get it paid for. And it costs more than a traditional Indy 500 program because all the things that you're dealing with and some other things as well, so I think it's mostly we've tried quietly to find budget for this and partners, which I, by the way, think is a remarkable opportunity. You'll get more return on being involved in this than most any other partnership. And it's not just a month of May partnership. It is a year long. I think ideally you'd like to get it buttoned up and announce it in May this year and get a full year ramp up to this about how unique this is going to be. And it's not going to be a motorsport story. It is going to be a human interest story. Um, so I think that's you're kind of hoping something like what happened with Hinch and Genesis. Someone slips into their DMs and says, I've heard about this. I'm the CEO of a company. I want to get involved. Uh, so I, I think that's a good strategy by Brian. And I think Robbie understands that as well. And I'm excited about it. I hope it happens and it'll be a fantastic story. Uh, just one more thing, and I because I actually took a couple questions uh, via social media from people saying, 
you know, this would be his first Indy 500, yada, yada, yada. And I said, whoa, whoa, whoa. He, he actually did run the Indy 500. This would be a return to the Indy 500. Yep. And, yep. and I think that's worth noting. I mean, this is not a guy who's like, I just want to experience the Indy 500. No, he ran really well in 2018. What he finished ninth, maybe? Um, you know, it certainly was very competitive. And so he would like another shot at it. And so I think that's a difference. This is not a just let me experience the Indy 500. I think that's a an important distinction in this pursuit. No, and they'll put him in a good program. It's not definite that it would be an Andretti uh, program. I would think it would be, but, uh, you know, they, they've got to sort all that through. But first things first, you find the budget for it. And, you know, somebody will want uh, Robert likely Andretti would want him in in one of their cars. All right, we've got a lot to get to. We're going to talk more about what we're going to see at Thermal over the next few days. Uh, a couple of the key principles that can tell us most about that. Tim Rogers is the track owner. Nick Rhodes is the track manager. Has a long history in motorsport. They'll be on the show in the next hour. Uh, Mark James, the voice of the Indy 500 with IndyCar Radio, will be on a little bit later on. And up next... Townsend Bell from NBC Sports is also here. We'll chat with Townsend coming up next. Trackside 93.5-1075 The Fan. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Hi, this is Eddie Castroneves, and you're listening to Trackside. Trackside continues. Thanks for staying with us tonight from the West Side location. Usually I say that and it's Avon, Indiana. This time it's the West Side of the United States. We're in Palm Springs. The Thermal Club is very close by and IndyCar season really gets started coming up with the spring training test on Thursday and Friday. All the drivers are here uh, doing their content day, which we've talked about a little bit. And some of the NBC announcers like our friend Townsend Bell from NBC Sports. Um, Before we talk about IndyCar and what's coming up, let's talk about where we just were over the weekend in Daytona with a Rolex 24. What did you take away from this, I I think, fabulous event? Big energy, Kevin. Big energy from the fans who voted with their feet and came out for what was the biggest crowd in the history of the Rolex 24. Big energy in terms of manufacturers. You Mm -hmm. had BMW, Porsche, Cadillac, Acura, all bringing their new GTP mousetraps that they've spent millions of dollars developing. And then big energy in those cars because 500 kilowatts of power and the new hybrid powertrain in GTP. There was just excitement across the board and uh, I I was buzzing. I mean, there was excitement throughout the race and what a finish, especially in LMP2. Yeah, we talked about that in the last segment, basically a side-by-side finish with a couple of guys that have driven Indy cars. They were both Dragon Speed drivers for, for a little bit. James Allen tested for them, and then Ben Hanley raced for them as well. Uh, I think we all lost the bet on the over-under and the number of GTPs that would finish the race without going back to the garage. I think my guess was you know, somewhere in the two and a half is what I would have put the over-under on. And for a, a car that what I'm hearing is nobody went more than four hours without a problem to have basically four of them not have any issues was amazing. Yeah, really, you have to 
tell the tale of, of two ends of GTP on the Porsche and BMW scorecard, all kinds of issues, mm-hmm. right? They really struggled on the Cadillac Acura front, seemingly trouble-free. There were uh, plenty of concerns, I know, especially from the Meyer Shank team. Um, not sure what they would do over 24 hours. I think it was the first time they had run that distance. Um, they had to do some oil changes there and all of that, but most importantly, they had the pace. And at the start and at the end, it was Tom Blomquist absolutely crushing it uh, on single lap speed and multi-lap stint average, just getting it done. And what a what an amazing talent he is. Pretty cool. And you got to wonder, will we see him in IndyCar at some point in the next couple of years? So I, I talked with him on the walk up to the, the car on the grid before. I hadn't really had a chance to spend much time with him last weekend, and I asked him about the test, and I've asked some other people about the test, and they said it went really well. And he said, you know, we just got to keep pushing on Mike. He really wants it. And I've talked to Shank about it. It's serious. I, I think there's a decent chance that he and Elio are swapping roles next year, that Elio is still doing the Indy 500, becomes a full-time IMSA driver, and then Blumquist becomes the endurance driver in IMSA and does the IndyCar races. Yeah, I think there's good argument for that for, for a multitude of reasons, not the least being just age, simply, right? Elio's my age. He's been doing it a long time. We know that drive for five is going to keep him motivated for many years to come to get that fifth Indy 500 win. But in Blumquist, you have a rare... Uh, spectacular talent and and no better place to demonstrate that than in qualifying for the Rolex 24 when Bloomquist there was a red flag Bloomquist had one lap on cold tires yep. to get it done he had an outlap and a first flyer and he put it on pole that's the kind of stuff that I w- look for in terms of a standout performance that's not always reflected in somebody's career bio but you put somebody in very difficult conditions the the equivalent of throwing them into the deep end of the pool and what happens, and he came out shining in that moment. I think he even admitted it was a breakthrough moment for him and his career. What was the Rolex like for you, not driving and broadcasting? You only had one job this weekend. You'd probably rather have two jobs because you still had to work just as much. You didn't have any excuses to, to beg out of any shifts. It was terribly serene. And by that, I mean that the broadcasting uh, was very enjoyable. Uh, it, feel, it felt very low stress for me just based on the fact that I have never done that race except driving. I've done it yeah. driving and commentating, but I've never been to that race when I wasn't driving. Uh, it was terrible in the sense that I terribly missed the competition, being out there with my Lexus teammates and, and going to battle. Um, but surprisingly, I'm, I'm noticeably more well-rested and less physically affected than uh, had I done the double again. All right, let's shift over to IndyCar now. Townsend Bell is joining us. We're uh, in Palm Springs where IndyCar gets their preseason started officially on track on Thursday and Friday. You know a little bit about this track, and, and we've we've got a couple of the, the key people. Tim Rogers and Nick Rhodes are going to be on the show in the next hour. But how do you think it will prepare teams for the season? What are they going to get out of the on-track portion of this two-day test? Well, I'm really excited to see IndyCars at Thermal. This is a track that um, I've been associated with long before it was ever built, when it was literally just a brochure. Mm. Um, In fact, I was the original ambassador for Thermal way back in 2010. If you look at, if if you Google an image of my IndyCar, I think either 2010 or 2011, you'll see a Thermal logo on the side as I was promoting the track. It's one of these rare examples of a pretty picture on paper with this amazing vision 
that in reality has now exceeded that original rendering. And by that, I mean uh, the idea of building a $150 million private country club in the desert of Palm Springs and having guys building $5 million, $10 million man cave garages overlooking the track and then saying you're going to add a swimming pool and a full-time sushi chef and tennis courts and all of these crazy amenities. They've delivered every single thing that was part of that original vision on paper and more now. Uh, and it's really cool to welcome IndyCar, uh, and I'm just excited to see what the drivers think. Any idea of whether it's going to be? So I've talked to a couple of people that and they that work with teams, and they thought it actually will be in some ways more valuable because no one's worried about the setup for this track for a race later in the year. They can really go through their checklist and get the things done that they need to get done. You know, I think it's too early to say until IndyCar has a chance to really uh, run for those two days, process everything they've learned. And I think they'll probably be in for a few surprises in a good way um, because the track has a lot of variety. There's three different configurations that can all be joined in one or in different parts. And I think more than anything, uh, it's just it's a really cool facility. Um, It is uh, a newer track, you know, built around the same time as Circuit of the Americas. So there should be some similar similarities um, with what IndyCar experienced a few years ago when they raced there. And at the end of the day, it's 27 cars. And I actually like the fact that we're not doing spring training on a track that we race on. And the reason for that is I think it's refreshing to throw everybody uh, again into the deep end of the pool at a track that no team and no driver has any IndyCar experience and see what happens. Mm-hmm. To me, it's a bit of a measure of pure driving talent. It's almost like throwing rain at, at Barber or uh, at, at Long Beach and just see what happens happens when the playing field is is truly leveled out. All right, you've been here uh, for content day uh, throughout the first day, and there's another day tomorrow. So you've probably talked to several drivers and started. So first, your impressions of the people you've talked to. Anything has surprised you? I remember a few years ago, what was it, Alex Pillow, when we first met him, when you, when you asked him to describe himself, and that's a line that we continue to use. Yeah. Warrior. Warrior. Give, give us a word to describe yourself. <laughs> yeah, and everybody, you know, said aggressive or focused or committed, and he used a noun. Yeah. Right. He just said warrior. And he delivered that with such total conviction that I walked out of that room knowing very little about Alex Pillow as a, as a yeah. driver. I'd certainly never seen him race anything in person. And I remember telling anybody that would listen, this guy's something we special. We might want to watch out for him. Yeah. <laughs> and so even though it is, uh, you know, it's generally a lot of fluff here, right? This is the window dressing side of our business in terms of capturing content that we'll use later in the season. But it's really interesting when you get the spotlight on the driver, it's a bit like an interrogation, right? Yeah. It's a small room there's no windows we are in control they're not and we see how they do uh with some hard-hitting questions i'd say so far this morning um you know the one the one that i've enjoyed probably the most is just seeing santino ferrucci in this new aj Foyt role um i see a a driver that has experience is still incredibly young still really needs to prove his 
his position um, and deliver some results. But he also is showing a maturity and uh, a lot of self-reflection, which is inevitable in this process, um, where he, you really start to become comfortable in your own skin and in your own role. And I'm excited for what he might do with an opportunity that sounds like a clean sheet almost with the team to bring in Mike Cannon, who's another you know, scrappy engineer with tremendous success, but also likes to go against the grain. What are the two of them combined to produce, either in terms of fireworks um, or potentially mixing it up at the front? You never know. One of the things I'm most fascinated with, and we'll go down the list as the season gets closer, but one of the things that I really have no idea how it's going to play out is Andretti Autosport and the changes there and where they're going to be. What what kind of strikes you about what is the, the, the high end and then the, uh-oh, it didn't go as well as we hope end? You know, with Andretti... You just don't know what to expect because of the number of things that aren't IndyCar that they're involved with mm. that continue to grow. You've got this, you know. Do you think that impacts things? It has to. It has to. In the same way that that if I look at racing drivers in the offseason in IndyCar that are, you know, buying airplanes or starting car dealerships or motorcycle dealerships or web pages or, or in this case, uh, you know, social media efforts. You only have so much bandwidth in a day. Mm-hmm. And how you decide to allocate that bandwidth to what end uh, completely and directly affects the result. And so... I look. I always look in the off season to which drivers have doubled down on focusing on the singular performance related items, and which drivers have maybe gotten a little distracted as they've become more successful, as opportunities have presented themselves, and how do they decide uh, what goes into their world and what gets pushed out? Um, and it reminds me of Joseph Newgarden a few years ago. You remember twenty twenty one. He said, I just had too many distractions that season. I had the Nashville Grand Prix. I I was getting pulled every which way. And he really focused on on coming in with a streamlined and and more, you know, direct approach, uh, more all-in approach. Willpower, you know. Mm -hmm. He completely reinvented himself in the off-season after 2021. I don't think we still know exactly what he did or who he talked to. He won't tell us until he retires. (laughs) But... Whatever that was, it was directed specifically at the result, and he went all in on that. I look at a guy like Alex Pillow. Doesn't seem to have a whole lot going on outside of just being the best racing driver. So I'm not sure it's 100% of the time, but getting back to your question about Andretti, a whole bunch of stuff going on, a whole bunch of cool stuff. They got involved with Wayne Taylor Racing, have an equity position now in sports car racing. They've announced, they've been pursuing and announcing a Formula One team. Um, But, you know, behind all of that, they have an incredible leader in Rob Edwards, who is so good about being quiet, keeping his head down and making sure that the IndyCar portion of what they're doing is always really organized. And every year they show up at Indianapolis and they come to they come to win and they prove that they're capable of that. So let's see what happens. One of the other things while we have you I wanted to, to bring up um, is uh, something that's very near and dear to your heart and involves the industry. We all like to see young people. We always get asked, how can I get into motorsport at any kind of a level? And there is something called the Rod Campbell Award 
award that's a scholarship and an internship that is going into year number three. So I want you to explain, because first of all, explain your your connection to Rod, who passed away just a couple of couple three years ago now, and then what his uh, role in the industry was and what this scholarship does. So Rod Campbell, uh, first my father-in-law, yes. uh, he produced uh, an amazing an amazing daughter, two daughters, in fact. I married one of them. <laughs> and uh, and so uh, Rod, though, has a reputation in this industry for being one of the very best uh, sports marketing and communications executives. He started his career um, in, in Canada as the public address announcer at MoSport and um, then got himself uh, into Formula One in the 70s. He was the marketing communications manager for Walter Wolf Racing. They famously won their first Grand Prix, the Monaco Grand Prix in their first season, and the Canadian Grand Prix wow. uh, with Jody Schechter as their driver. And then came back stateside, um, started working in IndyCar and IMSA by way of Ford Motor Company. Uh, his agency, Campbell and Company, started in the early 1980s and effectively handled all of Ford's uh, marketing and communications around motorsports, uh, still do today. Um, so Rod passed in, uh, in 2020 in the spring and, um, several of us that were so positively influenced by him, um, mainly led by Jeff Swoboda, who is now the executive director of the Rod Campbell Award. And it was really Jeff's idea to bring together a group of people who had benefited so much from Rod's uh, life and advice and counsel and guidance Mm -hmm. and give back. And so what's been created is the Rod Campbell Award. And instead of a scholarship, we thought even more impactful for a young person was to take uh, one young uh, college-aged person who aspires to have a career in motorsports, in marketing or communications, and give them a working paid internship during the summer um, across a number of disciplines. So there's uh, probably seven or eight of us that have come together um, and that that outstanding individual gets to work uh, for a professional race team, you know, with Brian Herta Autosport. Um, they get to shadow us at NBC for a weekend on the broadcasting side. Um, there's uh, involvement with Racer Magazine and just a really, really valuable opportunity for one young outstanding um, individual to launch their career in motorsports. We're really proud of the success. This is year three, and um, we've had two terrific candidates that won in the first two years that are, I'm proud to say, uh, fully employed yeah. and, uh, and doing a great job in the racing industry. Uh, I think you can probably Google it and find it, but I'll, when, when we repost the podcast, I'll put a link to that where you can sign up because I think there's still about three weeks to get signed up. If you're a college age, you know someone that's college age that has an interest in the motorsports industry, um, it's, it's real hands-on experience, and it led to both of these young men getting jobs. So fantastic. All right, Townsend, enjoy the rest of the week here. We'll get to see race cars up close in a couple of days. Yeah, it's um, be nice to hear those uh, those V6 turbos fire up and, and uh, hear that first clutch drop and the wheels spin and, and see IndyCars at, in anger at Thermal. We'll tell you what's coming up in hour number two. We'll get to some tweets later on and much more coming up. Trackside, 93.5-1075, The Fan. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. 
Okay, for the final segment of the first hour, let's do a few Twitter questions at Kevin Lee 23 At Kurt Cavan, for the love of Indy, first of all, our fact checker, when Kurt asked about drive time for uh, the Meyer Shank driver, specifically Elio, he's found that, looked it up. Elio drove three hours, 38 minutes. Uh, Blomquist, 7.02. Pagano, 6.26. Colin Brown, 5.56. I wouldn't exactly call that slacking to still do basically twice the length of an IndyCar race over a couple of days, but that makes sense. You know, Elio is not one of the full-time drivers, and sometimes it's just who has it going on. And I think Pagano was really strong after I, I chatted with Kurt, just ran into to Simon in the parking lot. And like a lot of people coming from Daytona, everybody's a little blurry and not sure what day it is at this point. And I think uh, this content day is always one of the more taxing days, asking or answering the same questions over and over and being asked to do some silly things. But it's all part of the gig. And as I like to remind all of us it beats having a real job uh what else ryan uh, patempa says uh great rolex 24 coverage with lmdh convergence and the increasing reports of imsa teams and other american-based drivers teams going to lamar is nbc planning to go over and have coverage of the race i'd love to be able to watch an american broadcast well, I wish we could, but it's not as simple as NBC just deciding we're going to go. You have to get the rights to do it. And someone else might already have the uh, American broadcast rights. I don't know. It's also massively expensive. So you'd really have to just kind of depend on the world feed. I know Speed used to do it, and they spent a lot of money on it. Uh, and I know this. I know some of us have kind of asked, and people hire in the uh, the pecking order that I have, have said, hey, any chance of this with some of the things that you mentioned? Obviously, I assume it's not happening this year because I think I would have heard about it at this point. Really difficult with the schedules in the middle of the IndyCar and the NASCAR season and so forth. But I'm I'm still holding out hope at some point in the future, uh, NBC has a Le Mans broadcast, and, and I hear what you're saying. It'd be great to have an American broadcast uh, as well because it's just different. Uh, you know, you need to explain it to people that aren't watching it every single week. And when I watch the Le Mans broadcast from the last few years, there are a lot of things that kind of go over my head, and, and I think we're missing a few things, but neither here nor there. Uh, question from Mike Wyckoff. What's the news on Lundquist for this season? Can he run an Indy next this season if he isn't able to run any IndyCar races? Shame he wasn't able to get a full-time ride in IndyCar. It, it is a shame. So S Steve Wittick uh, posted last week that there was a little bit of momentum for him for an Indy 500 ride. And that would make some sense to me. Uh, assuming that Penske Entertainment allows him to just do the one race with the $500,000 scholarship, that gets you about halfway there. Some teams ask for, you know, one and a half million for the Indy 500. Some might only ask for seven or 800,000. Some obviously are hiring drivers, but it's usually difficult for a, a rookie driver to just simply get hired. So there are still a couple of seats open. Dryer and Reinbold has a seat potentially coin, I think, could run another car. Ray Hall, Letterman, Lanigan uh, is prepared to run a fourth car. So those are the opportunities that are still there. To the Indy Next, yes, certainly he could run Indy Next again. But let's think about it from this perspective. Why would he? Those rides aren't given away either. He would have to pay for that ride. He'd have to find someone to pay for that ride. So 
he can't move his stock any higher. He was dominant this year. So the full budget for Indy Lights, full budget, I'm sure he could get a better deal than this. But for Indy Next, it's like a million and a half. Even if someone discounted it and did it below cost for even, say, four or $500,000, okay, even if it's free, What's the point? All he could do is crash damage that has to be paid for, not win. Uh, There's no point. He's done all he can. Now, whatever budget he has needs to be applied to Indy cars, sports cars, or whatever the case may be. All right, more to come in hour number two, uh, including the voice of IndyCar on radio, Mark Jaynes coming up, and also more information on... The Thermal Club, the track here near Palm Springs where IndyCar is doing their official spring training test coming up on Thursday and Friday. The owner, the developer, Tim Rogers, and also the track manager, Nick Rhodes, coming up in a few minutes. Trackside, 93.5107.5, The Fan. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Hi, this is Mark Zerickson, and you're listening to Trackside on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. Back for hour two of Trackside. Kevin Lee and I are separated by, you know, this week's open test in Palm Springs, California. Full field testing will be held Thursday and Friday at the Thermal Club. And still to come tonight, we'll discuss the intricacies of the facility with Tim Rogers, who owns it, founded it. And so we're going to learn a lot more about the Thermal Club. With this being the first year of the test, we thought uh, it would be a good time also to kind of look at this as a season preview. And given that, one of the best to uh, to weigh in about the upcoming season is one of the voices you'll hear from, again, the lead voice, in fact, Mark Jaynes, the voice of the Indianapolis 500 and the IndyCar Radio Network. Mark, I think this is 28 years you've prepared for an IndyCar season, dating back to your time as sports director at WTHI Radio in Terre Haute. <laughs> Seems like a long time ago, but uh, let's acknowledge that we're all just a little bit energized by the cars getting on track this week and and how much excitement that brings. Yeah, thanks for the chance to join you for sure. And uh, yeah, I've, I've, I've seen um, a, a couple of recent posts uh, from my early days as a pit reporter. And, uh, you know, I, I get questions from time to time about, uh, you know, thoughts on on the years that I've been a part of it. And I, I remember uh, my very first year was um, was uh, my very first race was the 96 Indianapolis 500. And I went home and told my wife, I said, you know, if, if they don't ask me back, uh, I'll have done it one more time that a lot of guys get to. And so for for 27 plus years now, I've been played with house money and uh, it's been a heck of a ride. And I'm, I'm not ready to hang up the headset just yet. And, uh, and obviously, um, when every season wraps up, Kurt, we kind of like to relax and refresh and recharge and reintroduce ourselves to our families and let the dust settle and get back to some semblance of normalcy. But typically, once we clear the holidays, you really start to uh, to get the itch. And then, you know, that gets amped up when the Rolex rolls around and then the Daytona 500 rolls around. And then before you know it, uh, everybody gets to converge upon St. Pete in one form or another. And uh, we're we're awfully excited about the opportunity to cover another season. 
I'm sure you'd been a race fan uh, prior to really your professional career starting. Assuming that's the case, who was your guy? Who who was the guy that uh, uh, probably a driver, but from a driver's standpoint, who got Mark James into this sport mentally? Well, more than a more than a driver, it was a car. Uh, my first favorite car, for sure, uh, was was the Johnny Lightning Special. I mean, I was I was a kid that had toy cars and uh, obviously that was one that, that that drew my attention right away uh, my first favorite driver without a doubt was was Mark Donahue I mean I just liked everything about him and the way he raced I remember cheering for him in, in 1972 to, to win the 500 and he did and little did I know you know that was the year of of, of the disappointment for for Gary Bentonhausen when Basically, he had the field covered, and then the thing broke twenty some odd laps from the finish. And and oddly enough, I think Gary Bentonhausen was was involved in in kind of piquing my interest in in, in motorsports and the Indy Five Hundred because in nineteen seventy four, you know, he moved his family from from Tinley Park, Illinois, to Monrovia, and his twin sons Todd and Kerry were in my class, and 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 we became uh, we became very good friends, and. You know, there's, there's another guy that's accomplished a fair amount that, that, that benefited from his relationship with Gary Bettenhausen when he moved in across the street from him. And that's that's Kyle Boyer with Penske Racing. It was Gary that essentially got Kyle started in, in, in motorsports years ago. It's pretty amazing that, uh, you know, three or four or five of you that had such a integral role later in the Indianapolis 500 all lived really so close to each other. And, and what, what what many people don't realize, I mean, I know they hear your voice and they hear Monrovia, Indiana from time to time. They don't realize how small Monrovia is for all of you to be so close together. Yeah. And, and you know, I, I found out courtesy of our alumni association a few years ago that uh, believe it or not, one of the founding fathers of the Indianapolis Motor Speedway, Arthur Newby, was actually born right here in Monrovia and his family eventually moved to Mooresville. So there are plenty of connections. Tim Houck is a longtime uh, a, a mechanic for Andretti Autosport. He, too, is a Monrovia grad. And, and we're all very proud of that. For those of you that don't know, it's about 25 miles west of uh, of. Of, of the airport just off of I-70 and it doesn't have quite the small town feel that it used to because, you know, urban sprawl is starting to catch up with us out here. But I, I know you're very familiar with our hometown and how proud we are of it with the, the time that you spent in Morrisville, not too far away. Yeah. Mark James joins us. Let's start with the mechanics of the radio broadcast. Uh, should we expect the lineup to largely remain the same? David Hamilton with you in the booth. Guys like Nick Yeoman, Jake Query, Michael Young, and a few others tagging along at races. Kristen Airy joining up for Indy. Guys like that. Yeah, I, I think the thing that that lends itself to our success is the fact that you know we we have continuity. Now, you know when when we get to the open test at the speedway, or or, or certainly the last couple of years, we've carried all the practice sessions leading up to qualifying. We've taken that as an opportunity to kind of audition some guys to kind of build our bullpen up a little bit. And, you know, a couple of years ago, for various reasons, uh, uh, we lost uh, Rob Howden. His career had to take a, a different path. And, of course, Dave First, uh, his his career took a little bit different path. And those were two of uh, of our best and, and, and talented, most talented pit reporters. But, you know, we had already auditioned uh, uh, Alex Wolf and Joel Sebastianelli. Uh, we had uh, we had auditioned Scott Sander um, and and we already had uh, uh, Rob Blackman and Ryan Marine 
the fold. And so we were able to kind of add those guys in, into the mix full time and, and, and not skip a beat. And then you've got the, the core group of me and Davey, uh, you know, Davey missed a, a couple of years uh, when Anders Crone filled in for him and, and what a great job Anders did. And we were lucky Davey was available when, when Anders had to move on. But, you know, me, Michael, Nick, and Jake, gosh, I mean, uh, well over 13, 14 years, uh, we, we've been together now. And, and I'd like to think that that shows in the broadcast because of our, our continuity and, and our familiarity. I, I, I say we're one happy, but very dysfunctional family, as you know, because you know all of us. And, and I kid around and say we genuinely don't like one another a lot. But when the microphone goes on, we, we seem to find a way to make it work. <laughs> oh, you uh, you certainly like each other enough. And as you know, it's it's still one of my uh, lifelong dreams is to uh, to join you on on one day of after my career is, is just maybe I could be a one day pit reporter. I would I would love that. But uh, you guys do a fabulous job. Hey, new to the season this year, we got several things. Alexander Rossi at Errol McLaren, Augustin Canapino at Hukos Hollinger, Benjamin Peterson, Santino Ferrucci at Foyt, uh, Kyle Kirkwood at Andretti. I'm doing this off the top of my head. Stingray Rob at Dale Coyne's team. And maybe as interesting as all of them, Marcus Armstrong and Takuma Sato sharing that Ganassi car. What has your interest as we get ready for this open test this week? I'm interested to see, as we just discussed with continuity with our group, as to what impact, if any, that this has um, on these race teams and 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 their ability to, you know, compete for a championship. Um, there's a lot of unknowns. I mean, as you know, you've done it over the years. You can interview somebody and somebody can interview very well. And you can think you know everything about them, but until you're working with them every day, you're not going to know everything about them because especially in motorsports, you know, as Dario once said, you know, I've I, I taught him everything he knows. I didn't teach him everything that I know. And so uh, that dynamic changes a little bit once they're all on a team together. So I suppose in terms of continuity, with the exception of the car that's being shared, uh, maybe the nod for familiarity might need to go to Team Penske or perhaps Ganassi. Uh, maybe with an asterisk, asterisk next to the name of uh, of the McLaren team with with Pato and Felix. So I, I think that the the point being this year it's going to be interesting to see if all of these drivers. At all of these teams that that have uh, that are that, that have new homes, is that going to be a good fit? And I don't. I think you hope it is, but right now, I don't think anybody knows. You got a bunch of sophomores, if you will, in this sport uh, that could stand to make the next jump. And I'm curious if if one or two of them jumps out to you, Callum Eilat, Christian Lundgaard, who we saw have a Rookie of the Year campaign last year, David Malukas, Devlin DeFrancesco. I certainly like Callum Eilat to make a Thank jump you. if, if Hunkos can, can, um, can absorb a two car operation. Which one has your interest? Well, I, those names that you mentioned for sure, but I, I think that we're almost at a position where we have to redefine, uh, the next jump. And, and the reason being it's so very, very competitive. I very much expect to have another championship season like we just wrapped up in which, you know, it, it came close to Tom Sneva in 77 when he won a championship without winning a race. Uh, it wouldn't at all shock me to see a scenario unfold similar to Will Powers and the fact that 
you know, podium finishes and top fives with that run one race win might be enough to get you a championship. And so in that regard, you may have to look at a jump uh, being from finishing 15th or 14th to finding yourself consistently inside the top 10 week in and week out. I, I think it's that competitive. And uh, I know none of these drivers want to be satisfied with that. Uh, but I, but I, 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 I do think that that we do have to redefine what it means to make the next jump because it is so competitive. Yeah. Last year, I spent a lot of time trying to time to describe Scott McLaughlin's situation and saying, if he just cracks the top 10, because I listed the guys that he would have to beat on a regular basis. And I just thought it was incredibly difficult for him to do that. Now he had an outstanding year. Let's, let's bring it back to two guys and one team, not getting a lot of, attention right now because of the lack relatively speaking of success last year and that's Meyer Shank racing you got two guys Elio Castroneves and Simon Pagano that you should be able to count historically as a race winning contender yet neither one of them were really much of a factor last year can they make the jump obviously they can do you expect a better season in 2023 from that team and those guys I think that's that is, and you mentioned flying under the radar. I mean, that's the one team that I failed to mention. What I said, uh, I expect great things out of, of of the teams that have very little, if any, changes, and and kind of like Penske. I mean, they're the ones that had the fewest. Uh, Ray Hall, Letterman, Lanigan is another one that that didn't have a lot of changes, and another that we we expect more consistent results from. Uh, yeah, you know that with all of the experience that those guys have in, in, in winning any 500s and winning championships and uh, uh, with, with all the experience that Mike Shank has as, as not only an owner but a racer, uh, I don't think anybody walked away from, from last season uh, more frustrated at the turn of events uh, than, than they. And uh, I, I'm sure that, um, you know, a lot of data has been poured over. Uh, my guess is maybe some, some, some changes uh, were made, uh, some reassignments and things like that, 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 that we'll, we'll learn more about as we get closer to the opening date of the season and maybe at the test. But, uh, yeah, I mean, we, we, we're, uh, we're setting up to talk to all of the drivers, uh, during that test, either on location or via Zoom. And, and that's one of the questions that I have for Simon Pagino, who I'm scheduled to talk to. I'm going to come around and ask him that. Um, what did you assess? during the offseason as a team that you need to do differently in order to start competing for for polls and front row starts and race wins again. And I'm, I'm anxious to get that answer from it. Mark Jaynes, the voice of the Indy 500 and IndyCar Radio Network, joins us, obviously, because we know your voice so well. Hey, Joseph Newgarden said last year that he feels capable of winning 10 races in a season, something we haven't seen since the days of A.J. Foyt, Al Unser, those two guys both won 10 races in a season in 64 and 70, respectively. First of all, is that even possible? And how is winning 10 races possible for Joseph Newgarden when he's got to beat Will Power and Scott McLaughlin that many times? I, it's almost unfathomable, but is it realistic? Well, I, I think if you are a competitive driver with Team Pesky and you're at the top of your craft like Joseph is, um, I, I think every time you climb in the cockpit, you got to feel like that you have a chance to win the race. And he certainly does, and understandably so, not only because he's driving for Penske, but because he's Joseph Newgarden and he's proven that he's one of the top drivers of his generation. 
and 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 while uh, I I admire his resolve uh, and and appreciate his optimism, uh, that would be the motorsports story of the decade uh, if if that were to happen. I mean, you you stop and, and and think about how improbable it was a couple of years ago when Scott Dixon reeled off two or three wins in a row to start the season, and nobody could believe that it's it, it, it's possible. You know, stranger things have happened in all the years that you and I have covered this. Is it unlikely? I think so. But um, I, I would be among the first to raise my hand to say, gosh, Joseph, you knew, uh, which I know he does, but you know a lot more than I do because I, I didn't think it was possible. And as you suggest, he doesn't have to look very far for some pretty heady competition that might stand in his way of making that happen. And, and Scott McLaughlin and Will Power. So we got five drivers in this series that have won season championships. Joseph Newgarden, Will Power, Simon Pagano, Scott Dixon, Alex Pillow. If we're sitting here a year from now, are they the defending champion? Are they? Is your champion come from that group? Do you think? Yeah, I think so. Uh, I, I really do uh, because I think um, you know at some point. Uh, let's face it. I mean, uh, uh, it, at some point, the guys that have come close. Um, especially came close last year in McLaughlin and, and, and Erickson and, and, and Pato Award. I think they're going to look at the disposition and the demeanor and the approach that a Will Power and an Alex Pillow and a, and a Scott Dixon and Joseph Newgarden take to a championship run. I think Joseph is probably the most aggressive of that group that you, you named. And if you don't think he is, just, Asked Simon Pagno about the move he made on him at Worldwide Technology Raceway a couple of years ago that I think essentially wrapped up the championship for him that year. Uh, but I think if you look at Dixon, what Will did last year, I think McLaughlin has the same demeanor, and certainly Pillow has, which is impressive for as young as he is. Um, I, I think those guys are, are are maybe a bit more cerebral and are willing to points race like Will did last year, uh, understand the scenario that's unfolding and not push your way back to the front when you know that the guys that are chasing you are still behind you. So why not settle for a third place finish if, if that's the, if that's the car that you have. Yeah. I was just looking up uh, even last year at on the IMS road course where Will Power has been so good over the years. He took a pair of third place finishes in those two races last year. And that's how you have to convert uh, to win a championship. We got a bunch of those guys that we think could be a first time champion, McLaughlin, we've mentioned Rossi, Pato Award, Colton Herta, maybe even Marcus Erickson. Is one or one of those guys better positioned in your mind as uh, we make a run for 2023? I'd say uh, McLaughlin because the uh, McLaughlin or Erickson because the experience of the teams in in, in winning championships. And I'll go back to Marcus Erickson last year during the 500, and and I got to go. Go back and listen to it, which I always listen to the previous year's show when I'm preparing the pre-race show for the next year. But I think it was about the halfway point, maybe just past that of the race. We came back from commercial break and the cars were coming off at turn four. And uh, as I threw it to Nick Yeoman in turn number one, I said at that time, I said, you know, Nick, I know the top three have, have, have swapped positions all day long. But the guy at the table with the best poker face might be Marcus Erickson because he's run around in fifth place all day long. And and I think he took a page out of the late Al Senior's book who said in that documentary uh, last year uh, that was shown last year to rave reviews and understandably so. I mean, Al said his approach was I didn't get too hung up on where I started. 
I just did my best to work my way to the front to make sure I was in position over the last 50 laps. And I think that's exactly what Marcus Erickson did last year. And so I, I think that mindset by Marcus, you know, certainly puts him in, in, in that championship contention and conversation. Yeah, I think so too. Indy 500 discussion here for just a second. Erickson was a surprise, kind of came out of the woodwork last year. I'm looking at a couple guys that have been fast at Indy, Arenas VK, Colton Herta. Felix Rosenquist, and yet I sit here and think Marco Andretti or Graham Rahal would be great Indy 500 winners. Uh, the one guy you're not talking about that, that every year I think the conversation is going to get a little louder, and it kind of reminds me of uh, of similar scenario with Tony Kanaan. I mean, it, at some point uh, it, 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 you got to wonder in the back of his mind if Joseph Newgarden feels like he's ever going to have an opportunity to win that race. Um, you know, he's, he wanted it as all drivers do so badly. And for whatever the reason, his results have not always been the strongest there. And uh, I think he's hoping one of these years that will change. But, uh, you know, TK might be the right guy for him to talk to because what was it, 10, 11 years before TK finally broke through and won it. And, um, you know, you, you, you look at Marco. Um, I'll, I'll never forget that spirited battle he had with Sam Hornish Jr. And one of the things that he talked about the post race, he said, I don't know that I'll ever get over this because he and his family know as well as anybody how rarely the opportunity to win that race comes along. But um, I, I think Pato Award has also shown, you know, flashes of brilliance sure. in May. And he, he's another kid that I think just has the aggressiveness to win that race. Um, I, I know that if Alex Pelot finds himself in the same situation that he found himself in with Elio a couple of years ago, he now, now knows what he didn't know then. And the outcome might be a little different for him as well. Uh, but, you know, we, we talk about favorites each and every year. And, you know, we, you and I both do a lot of interviews with a lot of outlets and people say, you know, if, if, if someone won, who would be the big story? Who would be the best story? And I would say, uh, other than Elio winning his fourth, I think it's a big story no matter who wins it, Kurt, because it's the Indy 500. Yep. Yep. Mark Change joins us. One more thing I wanted to ask you about on a lighter note. People often ask me, other than Indy, What's your favorite place to cover a race? And and I always answer that it's different maybe from what trip I enjoy the most. Those are different. For me, I always like Texas. What is the place that, that gets your juices to cover? What are the couple places on the schedule? Well, at the top of the list for me is St. Petersburg. I mean, I, I've been going to St. Petersburg and Tampa and Treasure Island since 1968 as, as a, as a tourist. And, uh, I get down there four or five times a year. And, uh, you know, if, if, if we're blessed and make it to the finish line and head off into retirement, my wife and I have already said we'll probably be, uh, you know, the stereotypical snowbirds and spend our winter times in Florida in that area. I mean, I don't even need a GPS to get around down there. Uh, obviously I, I love Long Beach. Um, uh, some of the guys on our crew scratch their head a little bit uh, because of how uh, rustic it is, but uh, there's just uh, something cool to the feel of mid Ohio for me. Uh, I like everything about it. I love the campground area and, and the fact that, you know, that it, literally tens of thousands of people come to the middle of nowhere. It's almost like a Woodstock type atmosphere for motorsports. And I mean, how can you not love road America? And just what I'm really off here. Uh, indicates to you just how lucky we are to have the the schedule that that that, that we have because uh, we race in in some fabulous venues for sure and it's really really tough to really really tough to rank them. There's no doubt about that. 
Yeah, those those are some of the great ones for sure. There's so many. Hey, Mark, thanks for joining us. This is uh, it's always a fun time of the year. It's kind of like the start of a baseball season or or what have you. Though everybody has a chance. Nobody's been beat yet. Everybody's uh, full of you know spit and vinegar, and they're they're ready to go. And I know you are as well. Well, no matter where you've been or what you've done, brother, you've always been one of the very best at what you do. And uh, I'm proud of our friendship. I'm honored by it. And I'm I'm really glad you guys uh, invited me on. And uh, we look forward to another exciting season covering the series for sure. Very nice of you to say that. That's Mark James, the voice of the IndyCar Radio Network and the IMS Radio Network, of course. Next up, we'll bring in Tim Rogers, the owner and founder of the Thermal Club, the California road course where IndyCar is testing this week. So more to come. Stay with us. It's Trackside 93.5 and 107.5, The Fan. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. This is Alex Palou, and you're listening to Trackside. Welcome back to Trackside. Kurt Cavan here. Kevin Lee is out for this segment, but we're happy to bring in Tim Rogers, the co-owner and founder of the Thermal Club, a car enthusiast facility in Palm Springs, California, where this week the NDT IndyCar Series, their teams and drivers will be staging the first test of the IndyCar season. This is a remarkable facility. We come to, as we've come to learn the last few months, as IndyCar prepares to be there for the first time this week. And yet, uh, most of us know very little about it. So, Tim, that's why you're here, to tell the story that you've been building for quite a long time and and what this means for IndyCar this week. So, thanks for uh, joining us, and and let's uh, dive into this. Okay. Well, uh, the, the Thermal Club, we started construction approximately 11 years ago. The first track opened 10 years ago. We have uh, four tracks now. We have... Uh, BMW uh, West Coast uh, driving experience is a tenant of ours here for a 20-year contract. Um, we uh, This is an unusual facility. In order to be a member, you have to buy property. And to buy property, you have five years to build a home. So we have like 80 houses already built under construction, and we have more to go. Uh, we have uh, three restaurants. We have... 48 casitas, fitness center, uh, spa, pools, tennis court, pickleball court. And I just want uh, a good experience for the families when they're here, too. So uh, where did this idea come from? I guess you and your wife met at grad school years ago and and, you you know, you have an interest in have an interest in uh, in the car industry and and motorsports experience. But. How do you? How did you come up with this idea, and and why why Palm Springs? Although I I think that speaks for itself. Yeah, the the big part of it is we belong to quite a few golf clubs and tennis clubs. At one point, we were at five golf clubs and five different tennis clubs. So I spent a lot of time golfing and tennis, and we enjoyed the nice country clubs with the nice amenities and the homes on the golf courses. Uh, and I said, well, not everyone plays golf, so what if we? Uh, do something with racetracks. So we kind of set out in that fashion to, to design it. And I c- committed 30 million initially to say, well, that should be enough. <laughs> and uh, we keep 
adding and I keep saying, well, how would I like it if I was a member? And as I mentioned, we've gone to three restaurants. Now we have a ballroom. We have a new carting building. We're just opening and we have a 1.1 mile competitive carting track. And the, uh, so that, that's, that's, that's the big thing. It's just, it just kept growing. We've invested 275 million so far. That's that's pretty impressive. Uh, Tim Tim Rogers joins us at the Thermal Club. So let's talk a little bit about how it comes to be that that uh, you got connected with IndyCar. I know Don Cusick has supported Stefan Wilson in Indy 500 efforts. Is that the connection that got you with IndyCar, or is there another connection? There was probably an early connection. Early on, I uh, we used to have neighborhood grocery stores, 52 of them up in Northern California. And we were a large customer of, uh, uh, it was Philip Morris at that time and Miller Brewing. And there's another company they owned, but uh, uh, Michael Samancic, the CEO, who was a sponsor of Marble Cars and stuff, worked with Roger. He invited me to a lot of their, a few of the driving schools in Montreblanc, Canada. And I got to meet Roger Penske there when he brought his cars up. And then, I'd mentioned that I was building a track and we sent the, uh, uh, at that time, Randy Bernard was, uh, Indy. He was the president of it and he came out for the groundbreaking and he put the track through the simulator. And then, uh, Roger, I got to know him through Mike Samasi. He actually gave us the asphalt consultants and answered a lot of questions that we needed or so Roger was very helpful early on. He actually drove the track in a simulation form. Is that correct? Uh, I, I don't know if I don't believe Roger did. I believe it was uh, R- Randy Bernard when he had the group. Gotcha. What can we expect? I mean, you have these different tracks and configurations that you can you can put together. And and I think you have more than five miles of actual racetrack. How do you how did uh, how did it come about? you know, what track IndyCar would use or what combination? How did that process work? I'll let Nick Rhodes comment on that. He's a track operations general manager. Nick, can you? So it basically came down to what configuration IndyCar felt would best suit their cars. Um, So we ended up with our north-south configuration, uh, which is a higher speed course. Our desert tracks kind of more like a street circuit, um, some tighter corners. Um, They felt like the north-south would work better and then we also sometimes run a bypass on north-south um so we cut out part of the track and um they actually felt they didn't want to do that because then the speeds would be too high um and track limits issues with that configuration so we we kind of settled on this configuration it's kind of the best of what our options would be for an indy car how do the members feel about these? The, you're starting to get a little bigger with your events. I guess you could say this is a, a pretty high profile event coming to Thermal Club this week. How do the members feel about these things? Uh, I think the members are very excited. This is our first time for large groups. We've had groups of uh, five, six hundred at a time. But this is uh, when we had car launches here. But this is... Uh, by far the largest group and the, the members are excited and, and we're, we're restricting how many people they can bring. It's not open to the public, although we're getting lots of requests, but uh, it's, it's not open to the public. So it's the members and each of the member can bring uh, including themselves a total of six 
people in, into the motorsports village. They can bring 20 to their house. So we're, we're kind of restrictive and we'll see how it goes. And if we can handle the volume, then maybe next year, which I, I believe we're going to discuss and doing it next year too, then we'll try and increase. Yeah. Before we get to next year, let's, let me go back to something I heard the other day and, and I didn't realize, I know you, you know, most places where car enthusiasts have their equipment and their, their cars, they, they essentially have a garage at their house. So, and they, you know, or some, something like that or place where they park their cars, but they take care of their own cars at the thermal club. You have a staff, as I understand it. Is that correct? And how does, how does that work? How do you help take care of the members equipment? Well, that is under Nick as well. Nick, I'll let you answer. We have our own mechanics. We have our own shop. Um, We have a bunch of guys that experience with race cars, street cars, various different things. Um, So we take care of most of all the cars here. Um, We do have uh, some race shops on site as well that are kind of specialized guys. Um, So if you have something that's more specialized, you need the special tools for whatever, you know, a lot of times we'll send it out to one of the race shops, but for the most part, we take care of a lot of the general maintenance, um, the morning run up of the cars. So we support everything from, I mean, we've run Indy lights cars. We've run, um, you know, your normal Porsche street cars, um, vintage cars, uh, a little bit of everything through our shop here. I think that's a fascinating element uh, to the project. I also uh, have read and in, in the various opportunities that there are to find things on the internet that you, you are at least interested or, or building relationships with, I wouldn't say aftermarket, but other, other groups that are involved with the sport that could have their facilities near your facilities or even on property. As there, is that part of the movement? Well, a, a big part of it is we uh, we do track rentals as well, and uh, we try and just rent tracks where we're going to get prospects. Because at today's prices, we have over five hundred million dollars worth of land still available. Wow, that's <laughs> I think I think the thing that's as we started this conversation, I think the scope of this project is is something that that most of the listeners are only now beginning to understand and and get a grasp of is this I'm sure this has been uh a project you know you talked about how long it's been to get it to to the where it's at today I also heard that you're probably not even scratching the surface for what this facility could become what kind of things are you dreaming about uh, kind of maybe in the near future and then longer term well we have a uh fifth track that is uh, getting entitled right now to be a two mile track. And it can be uh, designed by Alan Wilson, who's designed our other tracks and uh, also it can be run either direction. And it will also have an, uh, a half mile oval, oval track in the center of it. So we're just kind of seeing, you know, what we really didn't want to have, I told Randy Bernard when he came here 10 years ago, I don't want to have try and put IndyCar out here when our track's done. I want us to be pretty well developed. So there's something for everyone to look at because we only have one chance for a first impression. Yeah, that's, that's right. For one chance for a first impression, Tim Rogers and, and Nick, Nick Rhodes joins us from the thermal club. So you're going to try to sit down this week or, or move forward with some discussions relative to having the, the spring open test in the future. Is that, is that kind of what, 
what feels like the natural next step for IndyCar? I assume you'd like to have in this rotation moving forward. Yeah, I think it, a lot of it would be looking at what our options are for the future. Um, it may be something more than just a test. Um, I don't know if we'll ever do a full-fledged race weekend here. That would be a points race. Um, but I think there's some options out there for us to do something that's more than a test, but less than a race. Well, I gotta <laughs> say, what's in, what's in between? <laughs> we don't know yet. That's what we're still working with. Well, so, well, 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 we initially looked at doing a, a pro-am event where our, our, we have nine races a year with our members and prospects. And then we are going to have our guys race, uh, do a race. And then, uh, they would get teamed up with an Indy driver for the week. And then there would be entry fee and there would be large purse for whoever wins. It'd be split between the pro and the amateur. I like that. I like that at all. Now I hear Stefan Wilson is kind of the ringer of the place among, among, uh, IndyCar drivers, maybe even J.R. Hildebrand. Are those, are those two of the guys and that have been, that have experience at the facility or are there more? Oh, there's a lot more. Uh, we started doing our race series seven years ago, I believe. And uh, our very first race we ever had here, we had a young gentleman named Connor Daly here that drove one of our cars in the race. Um, so he's done a few races out here with us. Um, there's been quite a few drivers over the years. Um, one of our members is uh, partnered with one of the big teams, uh, with the Arrow McLaren, and he brought out, you know, Pato Award for a few laps a while back. So there's quite a few of the guys that have been here through the years, especially with car launches. Um, you know, we launched the Acura NSX here back in, gosh, I think it was 2014, 2015. The Porsche 918. Yeah, we launched the 918 here. So we've had a lot of the IndyCar drivers that were, you know, here for those types of events. Um, you know, they'd be here for a week or two at a time uh, driving street cars, but they still got to know the tracks. But we have a... Uh... Ferrari's trying to trying to come every year for like two weeks to do a course of Pilata here, but uh, we're kind of running out of track time. <laughs> I guess that's a good problem to have. This is um, if if Connor and the and the fellows have uh, have had track time, I I sense that with all the different configurations, that this week at in this test will could be or maybe not could be a different experience for them because they haven't seen how this whole track fits together in an IndyCar. Yeah. And we've made a few changes leading up to this. I mean, over the years, you know, as we've discovered things with making the track better, we've changed a few things, you know, we've changed some of the curbing over the years, uh, things like that to make the track better. Um, so it will definitely be a new experience for all of them as far as a few of those things go. Super, uh, super interesting for those of us, you know, that are kind of getting used to it. And, and I got to say, as I've looked at photographs and done more research, um, I've seen the track appear in a lot of different places, commercials, uh, like you said, car launches. I've seen photographs. I just didn't know what it was. So maybe what happens, uh, through this event this week is that just the awareness grows nationally. And I suppose that that's one of the major benefits for having IndyCar there this week. Yes, it is. Hmm. Great stuff. Tim Rogers, Nick Rhodes. Hey, thanks for taking a couple minutes. And uh, it's going to be a good week at the Thermal Club. And and uh, I think we all hope that this becomes 
at least a regular part of the IndyCar rotation in some form, whether we race there or not. And uh, good luck to you. I hope it goes well. Okay. And you mentioned Don Kusick. Uh, he's a long-term member and a great member. We have a car dealership here and he's, we bought and sold a lot of cars for him. We have it here. So it doesn't, I don't want anyone here cheating our members on value. So we're tr- transparent on what we, what we charge them. Yeah. You do a lot of things for your members. I know concierge service and taking care of their cars and whining and dining to some extent. So it's really cool. Uh, good luck. I, re- I really appreciate you taking the time and I know our listeners do as well. Thank you again. Kevin, we'll be back in a few minutes to see what we missed on Trackside tonight. 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Final segment, uh, always what we missed. Unfortunately, we missed a lot. There's a lot going on, but the good thing is we'll be back next Tuesday night from 7 until 9. We've got, what, start times, TV times for IndyCar races for next year. Uh, I, I think a few interesting NASCAR nuggets to get out there about television that could impact IndyCar, uh, a few other things, and, and a few things that we've learned already today. Jenna Fryer has been getting into the Simon Pagano versus Joseph Newgarden um, rivalry, whatever you want to call it. What, what did I see? Something at the Rolex. Pagano was asked about uh, a warning he got for hitting another car. I thought it was Newgarden in there, Simon said. Later he said, I passed him on the high bank and the spotter said it was New Garden, and that felt quite nice. And then the bus bros were discussed. Maybe some are wearing weary of the bus bros. And the, athletes, racing drivers, we all get a little bit worn out if somebody else is getting too much attention. I personally kind of find the bus bros entertaining. It's been good. Uh, and then... Today, Jenna says she asked Pagano if uh, this is a real with thing with Newgarden, and he said he's pushing Newgarden's buttons. I love the guy. Do I love the driver? Not always. I enjoy pressing the button with him because he seems like such a confident person. Simon adds, it's funny to see him unsettled. You know, we still remember that uh, battle at Gateway a few years ago as well, and I think Joseph had some sort of response at some point, something along the lines of he doesn't get a chance to pass me very often, which is what he said uh, at, at the Rolex. So we'll get into a lot of other things, including more of your tweets coming up next Tuesday night. Thanks to all our guests on the program tonight. Podcast up in just a few minutes. For Kurt, I'm Kevin and Josh back in Indianapolis. Uh, we'll have a lot of social media stuff uh, coming up from the Thermal Club Thursday and Friday as IndyCar season is now here. Thanks for listening to 93.5 107.5 The Fan.